Welcome to the stage, the dons of degeneracy, the Illuminati of the surfing literati, the award-winning altered state warriors, Smitty and Vaughn Rinscorn the Deadly. Destroy the Empire. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the quarterback. Drop down. Say, bah! Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Surf looks good, Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are bad. <laughs> Get a haircut. Yeah, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies, swamis, shamans, healers and dealers. Welcome to the inaugural Swellness Summit. We've eaten Vaughn, we've prayed, we've coned, and we've doffed. Uh, did anyone get coned actually today? Birch? Meant to get a bit of Vishnu across the road? Nothing? Shampoo? No? So, well, I know, I know our stage guy was ripping cones this morning, so uh, <laughs> that's good enough. That will do, Vaughn. Close uh, enough, Smivy. Mate, what, uh, what a fucking couple days it's been. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty much a miracle. I, th- I think it was everything that we feared might happen happened. Like the rain came, the weather was awful. We didn't know how everyone would react. But then everything we dreamed that this weekend would be came to be. So it was a perfect yin and yang, man. It was like last night when, you know, I was looking around and uh, it was, you know, we'd, we'd done all that healing. We'd done all that sort of work together, you know, to, to basically learn these tools, to really put in the effort to listen to what our swamis, gurus, spiritual you know, healers, guiders had, had come here to share. And I really felt like at the end of the day, people had learned. And I think that those tools are there for you now to take back home and just incorporate in every day of your life because really uh, that's what it's all about, man. If you can leave this and just whenever you're feeling a bit torched or a bit stressed or a little bit off it, tap into what you've picked up from one of these amazing people you're going to be better off. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, when I was watching everyone dancing, just like they didn't care, you know, like it's a good sign, especially Jodie Cooper. Where is she? She was like really sending it. But, uh, yeah, it was just so cool, man. It was just – Jodie's here. Yeah. Yeah. There she is. She'll be up soon, Tom. Jodie Cooper, everybody. Swelling queen. Pauline Mensah. Australian Hall of Famer, 93 world champ in the yep. house. And – uh but yeah, mate, I, I was just blown away and I really felt like uh, I felt like everything that we dreamed that this thing would be came to pass and it was only day one. I was like, far out. We got a whole day and far out. 
We really went for it this morning. There was no rest. It was just like healing, healing, movement, <laughs> healing, jiu-jitsu, healing. It's like, give me a rest. I can't heal anymore. <laughs> it was amazing. But, um, yeah, before we get into it, Smithy, I just want to honestly pay a huge tribute to Greenlight for supporting us. You know, did not flinch. Like, I got on the phone to Nick. He brought his team down. Uh as I said yesterday, he has spent the last 10 years of his life dedicated to helping people, healing people. He has made a huge difference in people's lives. And um, to have Greenlight as our major support has been awesome. If you haven't had the consultancy, I think there's uh, more sessions in the morning tomorrow. So do yourself a favour and get onto it. And uh, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Flick. So thanks, good, man. Claire. And uh, a big thanks to Coopers. Like, uh, they just came on last second. They're just a, a local surf shop from up at Coffs. Um, they were willing to throw down, and uh, we really appreciate that as well. So, you know, they've chucked in some uh, vouchers and stuff like that. But, you know, the support sponsors, it's one of those things. Uh, sometimes it can feel like you're just reading through them, but these people really made a difference and helped make this thing happen. So, big thanks. Unreal. Should we get the rest of our Swellness All-Stars up it. here? Uh, let's get Jodie Cooper up here. She's a surfing, uh, an Australian surfing Hall of Famer, uh, the winningest. Su- Is she in part two? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Sorry. Who, who's in part one? <laughs> Whoever's in part one, come out here, please. Oh, we got Dingo Morrison, one of the coolie kids, a former world number one. Uh, get on up here, Dingo. Come on, Dingo Morrison. We got Brad Gerlach, another former world number one, all time style master, big wave lunatic. On you come, Gur. Who else is on this one? We got Rashi Ra- Dungawala. Rashi Dungawala, our, our, medi- our mental health professional. Come on, Rashi. Big round of applause. Brad, wherever you want to sit. Rashi, do you want to sit here? Uh, thanks so much for being on the panel. Thanks so much for making the effort to come down, guys. Uh, it's been unreal to share in the wisdom. Gurr, wave key. It's uh, really, you know, it's hitting, a, hitting the spot, man. I think a lot of people appreciated that this morning. And I can't wait to uh, see, you know, how many people you're going to have to kick out of your house tomorrow morning because, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. And uh, Rashi, thank you for joining us as well. Dingo, love you, bro. Legend. Now, we've got such a stacked panel uh, that we're really only going to get one bite at this, Cherry. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically just going to have to go one question to each of you and, and we'll kind of run off that. Um, what we're about to hear is a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, about basically the many pitfalls in our culture that's making us crook. Um, and I guess uh, something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah, that's right. So along with anecdotal evidence, uh, I think it's very important to back that up with scientific evidence, uh, you know, which is basically just a fucking 10,000 anecdotes all joined together. So I'll be trying to do that <laughs> with this book, uh, Lost Connections by Johan Hari, which is an absolute stonker of a read. I'm sure some people in the audience have read it. It's all about how our culture is making us sick. And uh, Tommy, I'll direct the first question to you, mate, because, I mean, you were, you know, a bona fide Australian international celebrity. Uh, you are one of the first properly minted professional surfers. Uh, you know, you, you experienced the absolute highs of materialist, consumerist, capitalist culture. Um, you know, you met prime ministers. Mate, after all of that, and, and it was all during the 80s too, which was a, 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 a decade of, you know, greed is good, you know, cocaine, Wolf of Wall Street. Like, mate, it was basically uh, when capitalism really started to go tits up and, and start skull fucking us. So, uh, 
and I mean, look, to be real, no one got more skull fucked than Tommy, and it's it's absolute. <laughs> it's amazing that he's he's here to <laughs> tell the tale. Uh, Tommy, mate, you know, you experienced the highs of capitalism, and how did it make you feel? Oh, it was really fun at the time, like, <laughs> right? So that's what it is. It's like a it's sort of a lure, the lure of. Um, I, I think, <clears throat> really, the whole idea of being involved in a professional, you know, making the sport. You know, th- when I started, there wasn't any sort of pathway to anywhere. It was just really the pathways down to the beach, riding a wave, and that's what I started out. Lo- that's why I loved surfing. But all of a sudden, oh, I'm sort of in this sort of competitive pathway. Oh, because I got to, you know, and all of a sudden I get, I get. I kind of latch onto that and then I've got to be the best at the beach or the best in the contest. I've got to be the best at this. And then I'm all of a sudden, you know, getting most recognition. So I kind of get drawn into the recognition of being really good and I like it. So that's sort of the, the kind of baseline. And then competition becomes like I just don't think I was a competitive person normally. Like I wasn't naturally 24-7 competitive like – some people I know <laughs> that I witnessed, like, oh, my, how's this person? They just want to go the whole time, you know? And so it just wasn't quite like that. It was more like, for me, I got sort of edged into it and I kind of bit, bit on it and I kind of don't mind biting on things. And <laughs> that's what I got to know about myself. And, and over time, you know, uh, I, went for, I went for the big one. And, uh, and that sort of a whole lot, bunch of other stuff comes with it, you know, like um, you, know, you hit this sort of peak and you kind of go, oh, God, this was pretty cool. I, I, all of a sudden, then, then, the, then the next event comes and the next year comes and you're back down the bottom of the rung. Really, you've got to start to reinvent it. So that was even kind of trickier because mm, when I look on a historical point of view, Mark Richards got four world titles. I came in after him. I, I can't just have one, you know. I've got to go two. <laughs> And so it sort of rolled on from there, and um, and I and I'm a yeah, and and there was the money that came in and fame that came in, and and some of it was really cool, and some of it was really uncomfortable. But uh, to kind of cope with that, you know, I just I, I kind of I felt in my culture, particularly in the '80s, there's what we call the tall poppy syndrome. Now. When I've had a lot of that message laid out, layered into me, and all of a sudden I am a tall poppy. So, and I actually sort of had to drive myself out of my local beach to get out in the world beyond that tall poppy culture at my local beach. I mean, and it wasn't sort of seen as a kind of a thing to kind of warm up or do any sort of physical exercise other than just go down to the beach and just get out there and surf. It was like all of a sudden I'm warming up on the shore break because I know that I feel better when I'm surfing when my body's warm and they're just going you fucking wanker what are you fucking doing you know like so I gotta get through that's just one little thing but there's a lot of that sort of stuff to burst out of that and get out there in the world and start expressing you know what I had but it was and busting through all that sort of stuff and still sort of at the back in the background there's this sort of kind of shame-based thing. It's almost like shame-based. Oh, you're, you can't be better than... F-. Something really cool about it too, like keeping you at, at, at the even. You, you just be mate, which is really cool. 
but there's something else also suffocating and sort of almost like, yeah, you, you can't be better than that, you know, like you can't be better than us, you know, so I can get, get off yourself. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, we're, we're, I, was a, and I was quite sensitive as a kid, so naturally very sensitive. And I think you have to be to get really good at what you're doing. You, you have to have a lot of sensitivity and, and to improve on that stuff. But anyway, next minute, there's a lot going on. I, I got a manager, business manager is just off his tree, right? Go <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> and, I, and it's these sort of relationships that I kind of got caught up in that, uh, that I realised over time I had to get out of. Uh, all those sort of things were a big part of the journey. And I think if emotionally, if you're not really... I don't think I was beyond seven years of age, you know, when I was going through all this. I lost my mum when I was seven. So when I look back on it, when I lost my mum at seven years of age, I lost a part of myself and my my development. And and I could talk to uh, trauma uh, across the board for all of us and that's how it informs our kind of later experience in life. If it's not sort of seen or you haven't got the sort of support you need in those situations uh, and I, all of a sudden like there was this sort of void in my life, I, I, never, I can't even recall it properly how I dealt with it because my brain wasn't fully, uh, you know, I didn't have the hardware in there yet to actually emotionally take it on. So I had a lot of sort of things that I had to kind of kind of face later on in life. Um, but at the time, getting recognition for being a really, really good surfer seemed to sort of fit the bill uh, and, and get really good at it to sort of get the recognition and, and fulfilment, you know. And I get that fulfilment for a moment and, ah. Oh, God, I gotta go back to square one again, um, and that such as, and it was sort of nice, but I, you know, I had a lot of fun doing it. Like, there's no doubt about it. It's fucking the 80s. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd ever want to change anything, really, because it's kind of cool. It really, I, I love that observation. I think Eckhart Tolle, he kind of is a wonderful spiritual teacher, and says it quite straightforward, doesn't he? Just be present, you know, now. I mean, everyone's going, oh, hang on, now's, and then there's now, and then there's another now, and there's another now, you know. You go, what are you talking about? And then we want to pull it apart with our intellect and stuff. But the fact is, there is only one moment. And he sort of says it really beautifully, you know. It, it, it all seems all wacky, but, you know, I get this, you know, your greatest success uh, becomes your greatest, you know, what you want to call failure, I don't know, and then your greatest failure, appearing failure, appearing success, becomes your greatest success. You get what I mean? So there's nothing really out of place in any of this, but the lessons like we're, we're hopefully able to sort of evolve through things like this, getting together, talking about things that I wouldn't necessarily want to talk about. Uh, and coming forward, you know, particularly at times of when it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and that's what I've, um, you know, even today it takes a lot for me to kind of reach out and that's still rigged into my system, oh, I can do this on my own. And, and it's a very, very tricky place to be. Mm. It sounds like 
the lesson or one of the lessons out of what you just said is to not be too hard on yourself for the mistakes that you make in your life and to not kick yourself in the face or the nuts or the butt or <laughs> whatever you're kicking yourself in. But, you know, like to be kind to yourself, especially when you're having a hard time or when you're, you know, struggling with something or you felt like you were at a peak and now you're in a trough, like to understand that being hard on yourself doesn't really help. You've got to just put in some work and, and get out of it. And for some of us, that doesn't make any sense at, at a deep level because because of that sort of something's happened in our past um, that su- suggests that we don't have any support, we're unloved, we're, we're, we're incomplete as a human, we're da-da-da-da-da, all these storylines and, and so you've got to go it alone. At some point, we just want to isolate and go on alone and think we actually and the trick is it's so it's so reverse <laughs> you know we actually got to do completely the opposite to what we're doing oh i just want to go and just be on my own now <laughs> and success yeah. in our culture is rewarded with uh you know bloody, it's all built on uh consuming more you get rewarded with more and more material things uh a lot of which is you know Flash cars, luxury, uh, you know, women trophies, uh, alcohol, caviar, cocaine, and so on. You know, it's this kind of mm. culture of decadence, right? Mm. And I guess my point is, you know, I mean, I, and you, you, you've had access to all of these, and I guess mm. this is a part of the high life. But at the end of the day, you know, what does it amount to internally? Does it does it make you feel good? I mean, well, it's quite. You figure it out. You sort of ha- you eventually have a if you keep going on that direction. Like I talked about this morning, you have a correct, you're going to have a corrective experience because in, in there's the laws of nature. Corrective experience. Yeah, you will have a corrective experience. I love that experience. euphemism. You've dropped it a number of times <laughs> and, in this. And uh, it, it'll happen. It, it, will, it will happen. Mm. It will happen. That's for sure, man. It's coming. But they don't tell you this. It's not in the, the manual no. of capitalism and no. our culture that this corrective experience no. is coming. And as a result, a lot of people don't survive it, man. And you yeah. can see it actually happening at a broad level in many other areas in our, at, a, at a broad level, societal level, cultural level, all kinds of levels, there's corrective experiences going on all the time. I mean, look at, um, you know, poor old Russia and Ukraine having a full... There's going to be some pretty hefty ones coming there. So, And that's reverberating across the world. So, but, but then there's enabling, right? Yeah. And, uh, yes, and there's... Yeah, well, there's someone trying to support you in your... Be, trying to save you from your corrective experience and which is really tricky and and that's happened for me too but while you're on the subject of of you know like um you know this idea of capitalism and so on a good book to read if anyone wants to think about a book um is gabor mate uh it's called um I can't believe it skipped my brain, but it's the it's called and it's titled the myth of normal. Okay, so the myth, the myth of normal. It's a wonderful book, and it really starts to hit the nail on the head in a way we're kind of like locked into this um, consumer just buy anything, just go on here, like order auto buy, auto buy, auto buy, auto buy. Go do that. Oh, God, I've got this stuff coming in the mail. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, what's that mean? Oh, God, I've got too many. I've got two of those. Now I've got three of those. <laughs> and, oh, I've got a gift. 
you know, Christmas comes around. I've got four of them, you know. What am I going to do with these things? Uh, it might be as simple as just a, I don't know, a, <laughs> a couple of plates, but you've got too many of them. It's, it's absurd and we're actually sort of cluttering our mind. We're not cluttering just our space, but the mind gets cluttered at the same time. And so, yeah, it's a tricky one. We're, we're really in the thick of it. I love that you mentioned Gabor Mate. He's one of the, the preeminent you know, trauma specialists. He's actually just done the rounds, doing a heap of podcasts with Joe Rogan and you know, just the heaviest hitters in the world. He is like bar none, uh, one of the, the great minds of our time for sure. And uh, yeah, incredibly wise. And I guess this book, uh, Lost Connections, is, is a very similar kind of uh, strain to that. And I'll just read a bit of it now. Um, bit of science just to back up some of these anecdotes. Imagine you play the piano. If you play it for yourself because you love it, then you are being driven to do it by intrinsic values. If you play in a dive bar you hate just to make enough cash to ensure you don't get thrown out of your apartment, then you are being driven to do it by extrinsic values. These rival set, sets of values exist in all of us. Nobody is driven totally by one or the other. Tim, this is a, uh, a scientist, began to wonder if looking into this conflict more deeply could reveal something important. So he started to study a group of 200 people in detail over time. He got them to lay out their goals for the future. He then figured out with them if these were extrinsic goals, like getting a promotion or a bigger apartment, or intrinsic goals, like getting a better friend or a more loving son or a better piano player. And then he got them to keep a detailed mood diary. What he wanted to know was, does achieving extrinsic goals make you happy? And how does that compare to achieving intrinsic goals? The results when he calculated them out were quite startling. People who achieved their extrinsic goals didn't experience any increase in day-to-day -day happiness. None. <clears throat> they spent a huge amount of energy chasing these goals, but when they fulfilled them, they felt the same as they had at the start. Your promotion, your fancy car, the new iPhone, the expensive necklace, they won't improve your happiness even one inch. But people who achieved their intrinsic goals did become significantly happier and less depressed and anxious. You could track the movement. As they worked at it and felt they became, for example, a better friend, not because they wanted anything out of it, but because they felt it was a good thing to do, they became more satisfied with life. Being a better dad, dancing for the sheer joy of it, helping another person just because it's the right thing to do, they do significantly boost your happiness. Yet most of us, most of the time, spend our time chasing extrinsic goals, the very thing that will give us nothing. Our whole culture is set up to get us, get us to think this way. Get the right grades, get the best paying job, rise through the ranks, display your earnings through clothes and cars. That's how to make yourself feel good. What Tim had discovered is that the message our culture is telling us about how to have a decent and satisfying life virtually all the time is not true. The more this was studied, the clearer it became. Can we bang a gong there? <laughs> Bingo. Anything to add? Vaughn? Only that I read that book and uh, it's bizarre how much it feels like common sense when you're reading it. It doesn't feel like you're learning anything that you don't already know deep down in your soul and it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's bizarre. Like, you know this. You know that these things are the true path to happiness. You know, giving, teaching, 
sharing, like all these things, like community, connection. It's all the stuff that makes you feel good. And owning stuff just really, I don't know if it does make you feel good. And like Tom said, the more stuff you own, the more cluttered you feel, the less sort of, I don't know, the less sort of like satisfied you are with, with what you've got because then you're only looking for the next thing that's better than the thing that you bought or whatever. So, yeah, I just, uh, I, I think, you know, what Tom said is absolutely bang on and I just uh, can't recommend that book enough. It's so oh, good. <laughs> we, we'll hear a bit more of it later. Dingo, uh, you experienced you know a, a pretty similar lifestyle to Tom. You were... Uh, an absolute rock star of a surfer in one of the most surf mad towns on the planet. Uh, you know, a, a contemporary part of the Cooley Kids. Uh, I mean, what was your experience of this world of uh, material success and material rewards? <coughs> yeah, um, I guess for me, my experience was I went from one extreme to the other in a really quick kind of <coughs> few years. Whereas, um, you know, I just like Tom said, you know, it was just a way to the beach and that was my saviour. You know, it was just surfing every day and getting entrenched and engulfed in that moment where you'd have that experience outside of yourself, outside of your ego. And, um, and then all of a sudden, that kind of, that saviour becomes, you know, because you're so entrenched in it and you get, so, you, you know, I got really good at it that all of a sudden I found myself on the world tour. And then for a kid that, you know, that I didn't have uh, much of a foundation underneath until actually later on I found out that actually that the outside world was what, what I was trying to get fulfilled from. Um, like it says in that, in that book, you know, and when we kind of go for that external place, of just trying to grab and grasp onto other things that are coming at us, whether it's women, <clears throat> trophies, all this kind of stuff that is presented to us outside, it, it really is fleeting, you know? And then um, we tend to really not look at the internal stuff and see that it's actually an inside job that makes us happy. There's no matter what I've had, material things that actually brought about any kind of um, peace or freedom from it. Um, it wasn't until, like we said, like Tom said, that when you find yourself in depth of despair, that that actually becomes your greatest strength. And then you kind of climb your way out of that and look for ways out of that. But definitely for me at the time, um, the external, when you're only kind of grasping onto that and you're getting your value from that it, it's it was really hard I'm not saying that you can't have them things and enjoy it but it's the inside work first that you actually have to do to kind of you know appreciate everything in your life like we went for a surf just before this and you know it was just it was epic you know I come in that stoked and that frothing and um you know just to surf with Tom and Tom's been uh a huge part of my journey where you know you hear when he talks he, he he talks about the truth and it's you know everyone hears that the truth he's pointing to that place inside us all that opens up to there and uh you know you can't bullshit that because you catch on to it straight away like 
you know, but Tom, I, I love that, that through meditation and through who, who he is, he points us in that direction just really gently and slowly. And, uh, you know, it's, I love that. 100%, man. He is our Yoda for sure. And uh, it, it's amazing. He's mentored you. And, and you know, I've got to give credit to you too, Dingo. You offer me support in the lead up to this, mate. I was having a couple of rough days there and you're kind enough to give us a buzz and uh, I was very touched by that. Mate, what in, in your mind, like having been through what you've been through now, what in your mind are the, the fundamentals for good living, the antidote to this sick culture, I guess? Um, for me, it's surrendering, just complete surrender within a moment and trying to show up and uh and be the blessing within that space rather than you know there's there's a there's a for me there's this self bondage kind of person that will just take and self pity and on this on that and you know I really want everything to be about me and then you know when I can actually show up and just try to be there and be of service to someone that really relieves me from that bondage yourself. So I really try to, you know, it's ongoing thing and I don't think I'd ever reach that place at Snapper. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's a journey. And, uh, progress, not perfection. <laughs> no one has reached that place, mate. No one will ever reach that place at Snapper. Um, all right. Yeah, well, that really kind of leads well into our next little excerpt from this Bible of good living. Uh, this is about uh, exactly that, mate. Like, you know, you went through a, a really traumatic start to life and um, I guess, you know, having experienced some overlap, I guess, with that kind of uh, traumatic start to life, one of the, the really difficult things is uh, when you, like, you do get so self-obsessed and it, it is hard to... Uh, it's hard to think of anyone else when you're suffering so much. But in fact, the thing to do when you're suffering is to think about other people. It's the, the quickest route out of suffering. Um, and uh, that's exactly what this next bit is about. But unless you, you'd like to say something. Um, yeah, I just, I think that it's just a connection that we have with people. And like even everyone here in this room, um, you know, just to have a connection. And if I don't know the answer within myself... I'm sure that someone here will have it and be able to point me to that path of truth. So, you know, once we kind of have that community around us and like our little tribe that we can trust and point us in the right direction, it, um, it relieves a lot of self. And, um, you know, that's, that's been a, a part of my, my journey and like, um, you know, I, I, there was a lot of things that I had to understand from when I was younger that were, was actually keeping, keeping me from able to actually let go of a situation because I was showing up in that moment really traumatized because that was survival instinct from when I was a kid. So it wasn't until I could actually get still and actually see these traits that I had picked up along the way that I could actually heal them. And all, all, all the healing is is the awareness around that and then once you can actually have the awareness around it 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 brings <clears throat> it brings a healing like it's not like you have to actually dissect it and intellectualize it it's just the awareness that brings you to that 
place a space because what kind of what you have been coming from that traumatized events or whatever happened when you can actually see that actually that's right here in this moment has nothing to do with this and i'm actually showing up with this stuff so you know it's just about being honest and it it was through connection through having guys that i really trusted pointing the way to the truth that uh that, that concept of awareness, I mean, it's, it's talked about so much in, in spiritual teachings, particularly uh, Buddhism. One of the guys, one of those, those people who's kind of shined a light for me, Mingo Rinpoche, uh, he's, he's an iconic, kind of like in the echelon of the Dalai Lama, but he was talking on a podcast recently just about this concept of awareness. It, it's almost like, as a little hack for you all, like, it's almost like a, a mantra. You can just say that word in your head. Uh, and, and you kind of almost feel yourself lift out of the emotion and, and break that loop between thinking and feeling or, or fueling the, the, the emotion with the thinking. And you, you go into that awareness and you, can, you immediately become the witness and you develop that awareness just by saying it as a, as a mantra. It, it, it's pretty tripped out. Um, I'll just read a bit about this, uh, a bit from this book uh, that touches on what Dingo was just saying. Uh, I'm conscious that in some bookstores, this book will be shelved in the self-help section. But I now saw that 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 whole way of thinking is part of the problem. When I have felt down up to now, most of the time I tried to help myself. I turned to the self. I thought there was something wrong with the self. And the solution would come from repairing and aggrandizing the self. I puffed it up. But it turns out the self isn't the solution. The only answer lies beyond it. My desire for a solution that was private and personal, the psychological equivalent of a pill, was in fact a symptom of the mindset that had caused my depression and anxiety in the first place. After I learned this, I made a conscious decision to do something differently. Until I learned this, when I felt depression and anxiety start to set in, I felt a panicked need to keep my head above water, so I would try to do something for myself. I would buy something or watch a film I like, or read a book I like, or talk to a friend about my distress. It was an attempt to treat the isolated self, and it didn't work very often. In fact, these acts were often the start of a deeper slide. But once I knew about Brett's research, I saw the error I had been making. Now, when I feel myself starting to slide down, I don't do something for myself. I try to do something for someone else. I go to see a friend and try to focus very hard on how they are feeling and making them feel better. I try to do something for my network or my group or even try to help strangers who look distressed. I learn something I wouldn't have thought was possible at the start. Even if you're in pain, you can almost always make someone else feel a little bit better. Or I would try to channel it into more overt political actions to make the society better. When I applied this technique, I realized that it often, though not always, stopped the slide downward. it worked much more effectively than trying to build myself up alone. Uh, mate, we're just conduits for the truth, and uh, it's coming from this book, which is very good. Gur, mate, uh, you know, among the most stylish and iconic surfers of your generation, uh, a full-blown rock star again, uh, but who left the tour young and promptly... Fell into a bit of a depression as well, mate. Um, you know, what, what did you attribute that slide to? Um, thanks for the nice words. <clears throat> thanks for the nice words. Uh, I first want to say 
really great to uh, hear what you and you have to say, and I concur with all of it. And um, you know, it made me think of. Okay, so I remember my my dad always saying to me, <clears throat> "Watch out for that guy. Watch out for this guy. Watch out for those people. They'll fuck you over." And um, <laughs> and I'd be like all the time. I'd be like, "Okay, what do they look like? And what do they fuck? <laughs> Is this one of them? Is this one of them? <laughs> you know?" And I. I learned after a while to trust my own intuition. What well, didn't? It took a while. I made a lot of mistakes. I bought some fucking sapphire thing when I was in Thailand because some guy told me that the thing was like, oh, you could resell this fucking thing, and I knew there was something wrong with it, but I didn't wasn't sure. And then I bought it, and then I fucking afterwards was like, fuck, I'm not gonna tell my dad. <laughs> 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 That's so true, though. I was like, I'm not telling him, man. Um, but I, after a while, I developed this intuition, and I, I noticed I could trust myself. And I could trust, because I'd ask myself questions. How do I feel with this person? How do I, you know? And there's some people that are just, just feel they're right there, Right in the moment with you, and then you you develop a, a trust, and you and you and you, and then you open up, and you just share what you're feeling and how you're feeling, or. And it's important to um, I think one of the most important things you can do is learn to listen, <clears throat> and um, I was told. By and I went and I went and saw this. I, I kept going to these relationships. I was a relationship, and I got tortured, and another relationship was torture, and the rest. You know, I just couldn't kind of. You know, I wanted to have a family when I was thirty, right, like early thirties. I wanted to, but not with her. <laughs> She's great for a short time, but not for a long time. <laughs> um, and yeah, just I, so I ended up just through a, another friend, a really great friend of mine, Australian. And uh, he comes, I'm living in the States. He comes, he's like, oh, I just saw this tantric lady. And I'm like, woo, you know, and I'm like, tantric, tell me about it. And I was in a relationship. The relationship wasn't, it was, there was something wrong with it. I couldn't kind of, it was going, it was going well enough to where I was like, fuck, it's going good enough. We get along good enough. Like, I shouldn't be so, I need to you know, work on myself all the time, you know, and, and keep this going because it works well enough. And I, what, am I going to just hop to the next one and hop to the next one? I need to hang in here. But, oh, is it cutting out? <clears throat> so, so anyway, in the relationship, uh, it was just, it was just like, no, it was just, there was something wrong. And this, mainly it was a sexual chemist. And um, so my friend comes over and he's got this, you know, tantric, you know, experience and stuff. And then he puts on this DVD from, from the tantric master. And 
I'm like, you know, and she's into it, and we're like, all right, let's watch it. This guy comes on, and he's not, he's not, he's wearing like a kind of like a not an asexual sort of robe, and you know, and he's got this woman on a table right here, and and he starts, you know, working on her. He's like, he's talking to like a class, like you know, there's a chick here. He's from the south, and he's like, okay, well, what you do is, you know, you start, you know. You got to connect the genitals in with a heart. You know, women be, you know, disconnected. With, you know, this is what happened. And a woman can come every 0 0.8 seconds. And she's, he's not even touching her. He's just above her and he's doing this. <laughs> Needless to say, I have my attention. Oh, what's going on here? Anyway, I end up um, saying, well, look, I like my... My lady, who was my fiance at the time, I'm like, I like her to get the experience of, um, you know, that you into it, babe. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, it takes. I call, I try to get the appointment. That it, it, it takes forever. It fuck. Her and I break up before he calls. It's like that's it. I'm out of here. And I knew it was a good thing. I was like, I kept saying that. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. I'm out of here. It's a good thing. But he calls, and he goes, and I go, well, you know, I'd still like to pay for her to have it because I think it'd be a good gift to just, I think she, she was an actress, and she wasn't getting any jobs, and um, she was really good, but he, his whole thing was that a lot of women don't take on masculine energy in their, most, in their most powerful sense. They are in their feminine energy, and... Um, and so I thought, well, she could learn something from him. Well, I just give it, you know. So he goes, oh, what's her birthday? You know, whatever. And, he's, and then he calls me back later, and he goes, he goes, yeah, she, uh, she does. <laughs> like, what's what's the deal? He's like, oh yeah, she's got a lot more energy than you. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, and I go, I'm I'm kind of like, he's like, oh, no, that's not a bad thing. And I, 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 he goes, just that, you know. You had to come up out of your natural state in order to meet her energy, and she just wore you out. And I was like, "Fucking bingo!" I don't know. You know. I was like, "That's exactly right." I was just coming up all the time. I was just out of my own sense of who I am. And so, I know this is a long story getting to this point, but I am going to get to this listening point because the the thing the thing that um, that he, that I, I ended up going, hey, can I just meet with you? I want to ask you every single question about women that I could possibly muster. I must have asked him like 1,500 questions. Because <laughs> I, I saw him like four times. No sexual shit. Like it was, he doesn't do anything. But I did see the girl too and that was, that was pretty good. Uh, it's a healing though. That's the thing that's crazy about a, a tantric. It wasn't like, oh, I'm touching your hair. You like that? No, it wasn't that. It was, this is, we're healing it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That was a whole that's a whole sidebar, sorry. <laughs> but the point is he gave me a book and he said, Here, read this book. It's um written by a woman. It's called The Manipulated Man. And it was it basically wrote how men and women grow up differently as boys and then basically women manipulate men. And I read the book, and, I, and there was no solution to it. There was no like, oh, and then here's what you do. And I was like, what, what, do, you, what do you do? He goes, yeah, it's harsh, huh? And I go, yeah. And he goes, the only thing you can do is you got to listen to every single word 
that she says 24-7, 365. There's no breaks. And I was like, how the fuck? I, I was, no, that's impossible. And as I was kind of saying it was impossible, I was like, you know what? That's like the best advice ever. I, I might not be able to hear every word, but I'm going to try my best to listen to every single word. He goes, yeah. And, you know, when they say something and it doesn't quite sound right, you just say, excuse me, you know, say that again. And then they'll say it again and go, oh, yeah, right. That's, that's kind of fucked up, huh? <laughs> like... My wife tried to tell me the other day we're in she, she we're staying at this Airbnb and there's all this extra meat and she's like and there's a footballer who lives across across the way it's in Kuji I don't know New Zealand guy whatever and and you know big guy she's like oh babe we're leaving like here why don't you give me to this guy across the street and I and I I I almost was like oh yeah and then I went and I played the scene out <laughs> oh hey bud <laughs> want some leftover meat. Uh, oh, oh, you're all set? Yeah, yeah, I figured. Fuck. You know, I played the whole scene out, and I looked at her and went, oh, yeah, you, that's what you want? You know, and I, 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 I did do it. She loves me for that shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. I had a good laugh on that one. So, when I met my wife, she, um, Fell in love with me first. Fuck, that's just the worst. I like they fall in love with you first. You're like, oh shit, fuck, what do I owe? Oh no, she's gonna be mad at me. Oh fuck, you know, like I'm not there, you know, whatever. So she goes, I love you. I'm just gonna say it. And my old self would have went. Oh, I gotta digress for a second. So this guy says to me, basically, you gotta listen to everything they say, and that no cheating, no hiding, no lying. That's little boy stuff. Women don't like little boys. They, don't, they, they, like, they like confidence and, you know, it takes balls, to be honest. And so I felt like after I met the guy, I was like, any time after that point, if I lied or I cheated or I, I kind of, you know, I had a few different chicks going, I'm like, oh, no, I'm, uh, I'm sick. You know, didn't do that anymore. I just went, I'm with someone else. And it, was, and it worked. It worked every time. But anyway, when I met my wife and uh, she, felt, she said, I love you, uh, to me, I didn't go, oh, I, lo I love you too. You know, I didn't fake it. I just went, yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. I went, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> and her reaction, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get it here. And her reaction was, ah. She just cracked up at me. I was like, yeah, right. Like, you're not going to fall in love with me. Like, it was amazing. And, and then I was like, all right, I've got that. This is, this is it. I'm either, I say, hey, look, it's too much. You're in love with me. I'm not in love with you. It's never going to work. Or I went, how do I feel with her? I feel super good with her. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen to everything she says. If she says one thing I don't like, I'm going to go, I don't like that. I'm, all my other girlfriends, I would say, she would say something I don't like, and I'd be like, and shove it under the rug until it got to the point where I was like, who am I with? <laughs> Fuck this bitch. Who am I with? How can I be with such a mean person? I'm not mean. I mean, I'm, and that's real. And um, so with this listening thing, it is, it, it's a survival. It's, it, you listen to every, not just the women, but every 
word that everybody says. You listen to every word, and it gives you, it it'll tell you, it'll it'll help you uh, trust uh, to open up to your friends when because you need to you need to open up. You need to tell them, I don't feel good, man. You know, and not be like, yeah, fucking, you know, <laughs> yeah. drink some cement. You can't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> They wouldn't know it. They wouldn't know it. They wouldn't know that in the States. But anyway, that's uh, my thing yeah. on listening. I actually think I've seen that Tantra film too. It's, uh, it's, it's called Get It India, isn't it? Is that the one? <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. Uh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, and thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you. It's all about listening. That's the whole point of it, mate. That's the whole point of it. Thank you. Should we take another, another blast from old mate. Take a blast from Johan. Johan. Yeah. What's the Johan Don't mess got with to the say? Johan. Uh, all right, here he goes. For decades, psychiatrists have, in their training, been taught something called the biopsychosocial bio model. They are shown that depression and anxiety have three kinds of causes biological, psychological, and social. And yet almost nobody I know who has become depressed or severely anxious was told this story by their doctor. And most were not offered help for anything except their brain chemistry. I wanted to understand why. So I went to Montreal to meet with Lawrence Kermeyer, the head of the Department of Social Psychiatry at McGill University, who was one of the most thoughtful people about these questions that I had read anywhere. Things have changed in psychiatry, he said. And he then explained to me two more crucial reasons why we are being told stories only about our brains and our genes. Psychiatry has undergone a real constriction from this biopsychosocial approach. While some people still pay lip service to it, mainstream psychiatry has become very biological. He furrowed his brow. It's very problematic. We have ended up with, quote, a grossly oversimplified picture of depression that he said, quote, doesn't look at social factors. But at a deeper level for me, it doesn't look at basic human processes. One reason why, one reason why is that, what, run, sorry. <laughs> one reason why is that it is, quote, much more politically challenging to say that so many people are feeling terrible because of how our societies now work. It fits much more with our system of neoliberal capitalism, he told me, to say, okay, we'll get you functioning more efficiently, but please don't start questioning because that's going to destabilize all sorts of things. This observation fits, he believes, with the other big key reason. Quote, the pharmaceutical companies are major forces shaping a lot of psychiatry because it's this big, big business. Billions of dollars, he said. They pay the bills, so they largely set the agenda. And they obviously want our pain to be seen as a chemical problem with a chemical solution. The result is that we have ended up as a culture with a distorted sense of our own distress. He looked at me. The fact that the entire program of psychi psychiatric research should look like this, he said, is really disturbing. Now, I'm going to throw it to Rashi. You're a, a mental health professional uh, can you talk to us, talk to us a little bit about, I guess, uh, yeah, the the culture of psychiatry, of psychology, even uh, the 
and the influence of pharmaceutical companies on just the solutions that we're given to, to heal ourselves. 100%, I can talk about that. Thank you so much for having me and thank you so much. Those were great stories. Um, first of all, I guess I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm a psychologist. Um, and the difference, I guess, is that psychiatrists um, do prescribe medication, I don't. Um, so if you're a psychiatrist, you basically uh, do a, you do medicine and then you specialize in psychiatry. So they are trained in that medical model. Um, and psychologists, which is what I am, we're trained in sort of talk therapy, but also bottom up therapy. So talk therapy is a lot of top down therapy, which is a lot of talk therapy and sort of some understanding the framework of why, why things might be happening for you. And I personally, in my practice, always look at the social factors and look at not just the biological factor, you know, what's happened in your family, what's happening in your environment. Um, it's really an ecosystem, your brain, your nervous system, your body and your environment all sort of work hand in hand to sort of help us understand what's happening for you. Um, psychiatrists, obviously trained in the medical model, usually do end up prescribing some sort of medication. Um, I can't speak to psychiatry because I'm not in it, but I think that, look, I think that probably there is like an overdiagnosis and um, a tendency to veer towards just medication as the answer. For some people, it can be life-changing. It can be life-saving. But I think if that's sort of the first point of call, I guess we can sort of miss out on all of the other factors that could be contributing to why you might be feeling that way. Mm. And that's a problem. A big reason pharmaceuticals are overprescribed in this country is because they're all on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, which is a government-funded initiative as a result of intense lobbying from the pharmaceutical industry. So the pills are all given out for free, while all the stuff that we've been doing uh, at this summit, that all costs money. Yoga, uh, breath work, you know, all these healing modalities are expensive. They're not covered by the government. Um, and so you, know, you go to see your, your average GP, they will... Uh, you know. GPs, do they have the power to prescribe SSRIs? They do. So they can prescribe sort of um, medication for depression and anxiety, but then when it comes to maybe... And, ox and oxys and benzos, like yeah, doctors are infamous yeah. for this. Um, but they're not also um, provided that much mental health training. So if, you know, you feel like you want to try me the medication route, I would go to the psychiatrist, but the GP can prescribe if they um if they need to mm, and it feels like they they lean on this yeah. a, a lot and uh, I mean I've actually lost total faith in in general practitioners my experience with them has been awful and and they're actually the the first point of contact for a lot of people with mental health issues yeah they're sadly. the first point of contact to come and see someone like me which we're trying to advocate to change because You've got some fucking whitehead sixty year old dude <laughs> and you're like mate have you heard of Wim Hof and they're like what's that yeah. <laughs> feel like throwing him out the office mate yeah straight out the window get out of here. <laughs> So, I'll you can. <laughs> but you don't also need to go to the GP if you wanted to see a therapist. Um, but all the things that we've been doing this weekend, you know, are incredible. And they're all things that, like, for me personally in my practice with clients, um, I always incorporate. So the first thing that I teach a client in the first session is basically about their nervous system, how to get into the parasympathetic part of your nervous system, how to, um, you know, what what they even mean, what it is, um, 
Maybe if I can briefly explain, um, because I think we've talked a lot about it over this weekend and obviously all of the practices we've been doing have been causing us to be more in the rest and digest part of the nervous system, which is called the sympathetic part. So even though it's called the called sympathetic, it's um, the, oh, sorry, sorry, I made a mistake, the parasympathetic part, which is our rest and digest. So whenever we do breath work, whenever we're in cold water, um, you've been doing the ice baths, you are sort of activating this part of the nervous system that helps us rest and digest. And when we're heightened in any emotion, we um, go into the parasympathetic part of the nervous system. And Another thing that happens when we go into that part of the nervous system is that a part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex that controls our logical and rational thinking, it goes offline. And so I think a few practitioners here have talked about these practices creating a bit of a gap between yourself and your thought or yourself and the thing that you're about to do. So by creating this gap, we sort of change our reaction into a response. We allow ourselves to sort of zoom out and be able to calm down before we do the next thing. We sort of come back to that present moment, all these sort of great things. I think obviously most people here are surfers. It's a surf community. Um, you know, there's a reason why I think a lot of surfers are really calm or that they are drawn to surfing in the first place if they've come from backgrounds that are quite challenging. And it's because cold water activates our vagus nerve, which ends in that part of the nervous system that's a rest and digest. Um, there's obviously a lot of community in surfing and we've talked a lot about how community is so important in helping us with our well-being. Um, you're doing breath work when you're in the water. That's also activating that rest and digest. So all these things, all these things... Yeah, they work really well. We're having an interesting chat the other day. We we're talking about how, uh, you know, capitalism really is all about the success of the individual uh, and it sets this up as the goal to, to, to be the, the person on the top of the pile and some of our guests here have been that person on, on top of the pile and it didn't make them feel very good. Um, I mean, you're of South Asian uh, ancestry, heritage, um, and, and so... We we're talking about that that's a collectivist culture it's a very mm. different mentality everything uh, is you know it's all about the community um church religion spirituality yeah can you explain uh, i guess yeah because a lot of what we're doing essentially comes from these collectivist cultures uh, exactly at this event and, and we're basically i mean capitalism in my opinion it's hit a dead end it's kind of run its course and uh, it was great. It gave us technology in abundance, but now it's time to kind of really start to look at um, what we can do to, to satiate the soul and, and the internal environment. And we're looking more and more towards uh, these collectivist cultures. Yeah. So a lot of the practices we've been doing come from a collectivist culture and a collectivist culture is just exactly what Jed said, like a culture that is, you know, has community. It's sort of um, like a tribal in a sense. Um, and so these practices are ancient practices that have obviously, you know, been getting utilised for, for centuries. And I guess the West, which is more of like an individualistic um, culture, is starting to adopt a lot of these practices because they're realising that, you know, they work really well and we need to be back in community. And I think over this weekend, everyone sort of, we've switched off from our phone, you know, there's no reception up here, which has actually worked really well because people have been able to drop into all of these practices. We're together. There's like an energy um, and it feels really good. You know, there's a reason why when we do things in community, we feel so good afterwards. And even with surfing, you know, it's a solitude practice, like it's a solo practice, but ultimately you have your community around you all the time. Um, yeah. Mm. 
And uh, yeah, you know, part of this book actually is they, they looked at the blue zones, uh, which is parts of the world where people live the longest. Uh, I think Okinawa is one, Sardinia is another, and, and a big part of a big part of both of these cultures is church. Mm. Um, and you know, church like you kind of have this association with with church as being re- religious, mm. but really, I think that's that's secondary to what it actually does which is bring people together it's a a a constant communal touch point where you get to see crew from your community and you know all those little interactions add up to a lot especially when you know you're wearing your sunday best and you're on your best behavior and you've just prayed um i think that's really healthy but we've lost that from our culture Mm. uh you know i'm not advocating for for bringing back uh a stronger connection to the catholic fucking church or whatever i grew up in um but like we do need some something like that. We we need to substitute church with, with some other kind of uh, constantly reoccurring communal touch point. For for a long part part of my life, it was it was football, mm. uh, jujitsu uh, can give you that. Um, board riders can give you that. But I still don't think they're really consistent enough. Um, you know, like board riders meetings are, are once a month. Um, you know, church is, is is at least once a week. Mm. probably three times a week at least and we need this uh and, and without it we're, we're disconnected and um you know getting sick because disconnection social isolation these are the quickest routes to mental illness yeah we were talking about you know i see a lot of clients that are really lonely and i think um you know they're sort of we don't realize how much of a of a loneliness sort of epidemic that we're in and i think that the types of modes of connection that we're using now are they feel like you know we're connecting but it's not connection in the way that we really need um and that's why I think a lot of people come to see me too you know I for some people are their only point of touch and you know talking about wanting to be heard and wanting you know having people listen I think a lot of people are missing just feeling heard and having someone that they can go to on a regular basis Incredible. All right, well, I think it's time for a, a little break and then we're going to stack the panel with some more Call cool Lords. Pooshy, hit the fucking gong, man. <laughs> give it up, give it up. Great panel. I, I forgot to end my story with I was, fell head over heels in love with my wife. And I'm still totally head over heels in love with her. And I'm so glad that I listened. <laughs> there is a good ending. 